You are now in the mix with the Atomic Podcast, where we blow up the news. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast, coming to you live from the Upper West Side, New York City, where we blow up the news on a verbal scale. My guest today, he's a singer-songwriter, he's a wrestler, and he's also a podcaster on MLW Radio, and he has a couple of podcast shows in on the network there ladies and gentlemen you might know him as mr msl but right now i'm calling him mr saint laurent saint laurent how are you doing today so hey, what's going on man thanks for having me on Nah, not a problem not a problem man you know you are definitely you know uh, a personality in the business and you know people who i guess you know people know you as a wrestler as well but you're definitely known for more for podcasting but let's just take it back before we get into the podcasting thing um how did you get involved basically in the whole aspect of the entertainment business i would like to say well my first job in entertainment i actually when i was in high school i worked for a record label called risk records and i, I always grew up with an interest in music and wrestling and i knew from a young age but that's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to work in rock and roll, and I wanted to work in pro wrestling. And I basically did all the stuff they tell you not to do. I dropped out of school. I ran away from home. I didn't have any backup plan. And, you know, 17 years later, you know, this has been my life for the, you know, almost two decades at this point of just uh, working in pro wrestling and working in music. And I definitely would not recommend to anybody the path that I took. I just got very lucky that it worked out. Uh, but, the, but your first passion was music before you got into wrestling? Um, I, I think I grew up probably with the, the passion for wrestling and music probably starting at the same time. I, I was born in 83, so I'd say by 88, I was starting to become obsessed with both. Uh, but yeah, I had a job in music before I had any, any sort of job in wrestling. Oh, and um, um, what did you do musically? Or did you play instruments? Were you vocal? Oh, as far as me as a musician, I, I play a little bit of everything. I've sung in bands, I've played guitar, drums, bass. I grew up as a classically trained pianist, so that was my first instrument. And, you know, I played a little bit of everything. I, I, for me, what I enjoy the most is singing and writing songs. So the band that I'm in right now, uh, which, you know, I still go out and play shows with Mr. St. Laurent, I'll, I'll have, you know, a, a backing band with me and I just sing. Oh, well, what kind of songs do you sing, basically? Uh, I, I guess my style's kind of like a garage rock type of thing. I grew up on, on bands like Nirvana, and I grew up on the Beatles, and I, I definitely have got um, that garage sound to what I do. I'm a big fan of the White Stripes, bands like that. Oh, okay, okay. And um, to segue, um, what led into wrestling? Well, it was just what I always wanted to do with my life, and I, I grew up telling myself that I would do whatever I wanted, and I didn't care if anybody told me it was a bad idea or risky, and so when I wanted to get into wrestling, you know, I thought to myself, well, if I just start showing up at the shows before anybody else and offering to help, maybe they'll let me, and so the, the local promotion down in Miami at the time, the, they would rent the ring of a guy named Duke the Dumpster Josie, who had just recently left the WWE, and so, you know, when he would get there at 2 p.m. to start setting up the ring, I'd already been there since noon. Oh, wow. You know, 15-year-old you know, kid just begging to help, and I did that every weekend for a few months, and it just didn't matter where the show was, if it was five hours away, I'd find a ride somehow, I'd hitchhike, I'd do whatever I needed to do to make sure I was helping build that ring and tear it down. 
know, I, I had pretty good sides to me. I grew up playing sports, and I didn't actually want to be a wrestler. I wanted to work behind the scenes. I wanted to be a matchmaker. I had an interest in maybe being a manager, but being an actual wrestler was not the plan. And, you know, at, at six foot three, 350 pounds, you know, I think he saw something to me, and he offered to train me for free, and it was a difficult thing to turn down, you know. So before I knew it, here I am going to wrestling school, which was definitely not the plan when I started. Well, you know, um, um, at your height and your weight, how was the training and the bumping? Did it take a lot out of you? You know, as I sit here now at 32, yeah. and uh, I, I haven't probably had a match in about two years, so I, I wrestled from like 15 to 30. Yeah, my body's pretty beat up, you know, for a guy my size that would bump as much as I did. Um, but, you know, granted, I never wrestled for any major full-time companies. So, you know, when you're wrestling twice a week on the weekends, unlike, you know, WWE guys that are maybe wrestling four times a week, you're taking half the punishment. So it, it's a lot easier to laugh. Okay, and um, and the, doing the drills, and um, how was Duke the Dumpster Drossy as a teacher? You know, say so we just knew the character of him, but he wasn't really more exposed like in the WWE, like you know, like a like a Dolph Ziggler or anything like that. But how was he as a teacher, and how was he as a person? I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed training there, and like I said, I, I was skeptical if I could even be a wrestler because yeah. that was not. You know, me being the one getting punched in the face and me being the one getting dropped on my head <laughs> it was, not, it was not something that I that I really was, like, passionate about. I was passionate about um, the art form of making people want to spend money to see a fight. That's what excited me. Me doing the fighting, um, I was very reluctant. But I, I thought I got solid training there, and really, uh, years later... I, I think a lot of my development, I got lucky because when I became Larry Zabisco's tag team partner, what I learned from him uh, was invaluable. And that was really when I really started to understand the art of working a match was when I was teaming with Larry every weekend. I ended up being Larry's tag team partner for about six or seven years. And just an incredible education. And, and because Larry had such a cerebral approach to the business, that connected with me. You know, Larry was a tough guy, but he wasn't someone that you thought of as, like, an ass kicker. You know, obviously he's got the reputation for stalling outside the ring and that kind of stuff. And I was really fascinated with the psychology of that. And that's when I, I really started to get more excited about being a wrestler and taking it further than I had ever intended. You know, when I started, I figured maybe I'll wrestle for a couple years and, and find a company that'll let me be a writer. And really, it was hooking up with Larry that got me more passionate about being in the ring. Cool. Um, how did you and Larry came together? Did, did, did Duke said, all right, you guys team up? Or how did that come about, you and Larry as a team? No, no I mean, I, I had already, you know, I, I trained with Duke down in Miami in, in the late 90s. And then fast forward a few years, I was up living in Orlando and, and working for some groups up here. And I'm, I'm still in the Orlando area now. I'm in Winter Park, which is where NXT is at. And um, I was randomly booked to wrestle against Larry. Uh, we were the main event for the Florida Heavyweight title. I'd never met him before. And, you know, I think a lot of times when you're a veteran and you're working a younger guy, you've never met him before, you know, Larry was older at that point, all he cared about was not getting hurt. And for a guy in his position, you know, sometimes you're wrestling a young guy who wants to do a million different spots 
uh, which Larry wasn't going to want to do, but I, I think you talk to guys in that position and they're dreading uh, the young guy want to do a lot of crazy shit, which they're not going to want to do. And, and when I met Larry, you know, I was always taught, like, you when you're working a veteran, you just ask them what they want to do and you just do whatever they want. And you can't let your ego get in the way. Maybe someone in my position, a young kid, I think I'm hot shit. You know, I'm the champion, the promoter's spending, you know, all this money to bring in Larry to put me over. And, you know, I could have been disappointed of, like, oh, this old fuck doesn't want to do anything. We're going to have a shitty match. And, and that wasn't my mentality at all. And, and I asked him, you know, sir, what would you like to do tonight? And he said, well, I'm... Uh, I don't want to do anything. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay, we're gonna do, we're gonna do nothing. I think we, I think we stalled for like five or ten minutes. Um, and somehow the ref was distracted, and I hit him with the belt. And I, we never even locked up. It was probably by far the worst match of my career. Uh, and it was, it was a big show. It was part of like a music festival, and there were thousands of people there. A lot of big names on the card. Scott Steiner and all these different guys were there. And for me, as like a young Mark kid, my first big match, uh, you know, maybe someone else in my shoes would have been disappointed. And I was excited just, you know, that he was so happy. He loved it. He was so excited that he didn't have to do jack shit. And, uh, and we became like best friends overnight, basically, just because we both had a joint passion for not bumping. I know, you, you talk so much about Larry Zabisco, and it seems like you guys have a mutual respect and, I guess, a friendship for each other. Um, did you, did you like, want more things to happen at, at you know, being in the Florida promotion with Larry Zabisco, or? In terms of what? In terms of, like, you know, being, like, an established team, or, like, thinking it, it can go to bigger and better things, or? Well, I mean, at that point in his career, I, you know, obviously our tag team wasn't going to get any further yeah. than the Indies, but... Uh, it, it was a it was a fun time in my life, you know, because we wrestled all over the East Coast. We you know we got flown out to the to the West Coast a few times, and just getting that education of of being in the dressing room with him and letting him lay out the matches and, and learning why he does what he does. And for a guy at the tail end of his career who's depending on on me, the younger guy, to kind of carry the weight a little bit. Um, it, was, it was a great situation, man, and, and for me now, uh, having no desire ever to wrestle again, even though I'm only 32, and my passion really being behind the scenes and, and in the art of matchmaking, getting that education of, of wrestling so many times with Larry, I feel like it's made my mind for the business so much sharper. Um, and so really, it was, it was a great time, but, you know, where, where at that point in his career, Larry in his mid fifties to late fifties, it's it's not like a it's not like a major company was going to bring in Larry and MSL, you know, to be a new tag team. So that was never the mentality at all. Okay, and also you also are a producer and creator. You also did Scott Hall TV. Um, how did that web series come about? Well, the funny thing is, is because at the time Larry and I, the heat. I had a place in Orlando, he had a place in Tampa, mm-hmm. but he was working He was working for TNA, so all the TV tapings were in Orlando, and then every weekend we'd have to hop in the car and drive to Georgia or Alabama or wherever, and so it just became easier for him to, to live at my place, so now at this point we're tag team partners, uh, and we're roommates, and uh, we had a wrestling school together as well, and, and somehow we ended up figuring out that Scott Hall lived down the street. 
I don't I don't know if we like ran into him at the grocery store or how it came about, but somehow it came about that Scott Hall is down the street. And and Scott and Larry were old friends. Obviously we're friends in WCW and then way before WCW um, they had known each other down in Florida, and so Scott kind of just, like, joined the crew, you know, and, um, Larry's, like, a really private guy, and, you know, you would have never really been able to convince Larry that he should have his own podcast or start, like, a YouTube show, yeah. but Scott was, Scott was really intrigued by that kind of stuff, so, uh, you know, when we pitched him on the idea of why don't we do a YouTube show, Scott was all about it, and, you know, we haven't filmed any episodes in years, but it's funny, I still get asked about those shows all the time. Uh, for anybody that's a Scott Hall fan that hasn't seen them, you go to youtube.com slash scotthalltv, and you'll see me, Larry, and Scott, and our various antics, kind of going on road trips, going to wrestling shows, and it, it was a real fun time. Well, um, how many episodes of the Scott Hall TV are there that people can check out? Um, I'd say maybe about a dozen, maybe 15 episodes that are still archived. Oh, wow. You know, it, it's been four or five years at this point, but, um, yeah, the episodes are still up if anyone ever wants to see them. And, you know, for people wondering the time frame, this is when Scott ended up going back to TNA. So when Scott and Kevin Nash were TNA Tag Team Champions, uh, we, we we had our own private locker room at TNA, and we would just film whatever we wanted, man, and, uh, and then just throw it up on YouTube. Also, being involved in the wrestling business, you also did color commentary. Um, how did you um, di um, differentiate from color commentary to being a wrestler? You think it goes hand in hand? Because some people who wrestle can definitely commentate, you know, but how did you feel you excelled in that? Well, I, even before I got into the business, like I said, I, I never had any thoughts in my head that I'd ever wrestle for WWE or be at WrestleMania or anything like that. Yeah. I just I just thought that, you know, I was an intellectual guy that wanted to focus on the intellectual side of the business. That's what appealed to me. And the first time I got offered a, a chance to do commentary, there was a group that had uh, television with Time Warner Cable. And I got booked to wrestle on the show, and I guess whoever was supposed to be the commentator either didn't show up or something happened, and they said they needed a commentator, and, you know, a lot of the wrestlers, they didn't want to, you know, to give up their opportunity to wrestle on TV, and I, I figure, well, <laughs> if I'm the commentator, I'll be on TV every match. Instead of having one match, I've got four, so I volunteered, and it just kind of took off, and so I, I did commentary for them for a while. And then, you know, it's just kind of the nature of entertainment. Word of mouth, people find out about you, and Ring of Honor needed a commentator, and they asked me if I could do it. You know, they, they were doing their production in Tampa at the time, and I was in Orlando, so it was just an easy drive. And, and here, you know, <laughs> I hadn't really ever thought about being a commentator, and before you know it, now I'm doing commentary for Ring of Honor. Oh, and how was doing commentary for Ring of Honor? Did you have a good time doing that? Yeah, you know, I got to call a lot of great matches. I was really lucky. You know, I got to call great matches with Brian Danielson, and especially when they were feuding with some of the wrestlers over from Pro Wrestling Noah, guys like Tenta and Mirafuji. I got to call a, a GHC championship match, you know, the Noah Heavyweight Championship. Uh, I got to call a lot of really great stuff, you know. Matches much better than I would have ever been able to wrestle myself, so it was a lot of fun. Oh, wow. At that time of Ring of Honor, who was, like, the main stars at that time? Uh, Brian Danielson, Brian Danielson Nigel right. McGinnis, 
Um, like I said, yeah, they were bringing a lot of guys over from Noah. They did a feud with CZW, like called the, the what's it called, the Cage of Death or whatever they call it, Ring of Honor versus CZW and a cage with a bunch of weapons and stuff. Oh, the um, Combat Zone Wrestling, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, 2006, 2007. All right. Well, are you a big fan of CZW now? They run a lot of shows on the East Coast. Are you a big fan of CZW? Yeah, I really don't know much about it. And, you know, so, it, but which actually worked out well because when I was calling the, the Ring of Honor CZW feud, I'm, I'm sure that that feud was carrying over on the CZW shows as well. And the CZW announcers had their perspective. So for me, not being familiar with the CZW wrestlers, I think played in better. You know, that, that, that my focus was on the ROH guys and what the ROH guys were up to. And I didn't have, uh, you know, if the CZW guys were supposed to be outsiders, well, then it worked out well that I wasn't familiar with them. Um, who, uh, Mr. MSL, who is your close friends in the wrestling business? Do you have a lot of close friends in the wrestling business? Because I hear you talk about them on your podcast. Who are they? I consider myself to be a, a pretty private guy, which might, which might <laughs> yeah. sound strange to people that are familiar with me since, you know, I've been podcasting for 10 years and seemingly post my every move on the message board on M.SL, which is my website. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, as, as far as my life away from wrestling, I really don't talk to that many people. No, um, no. You know, in, in, the, in any given day, uh, I talk to Court Bauer, who I do podcasts with, and, you know, you know, for MLW Radio, he's a former WWE writer that I've been friends with for years, way before he worked for WWE. Mm -hmm. Um, and really, like, him, Larry, and Kevin Sullivan are probably, like, the only people that I stay in touch with on a day-to-day -day basis. Wow. Well, Conan, you don't speak to on a regular basis, just only when you do the podcast? You know, I, I talk to Conan a couple times a week, and we do the podcast together and stuff, but a lot of, time, a lot of times he's down in Mexico, and, you know, he's, it's not always feasible for him to be making phone calls to the United States or vice versa, and, you know, I've never, I've never met Conan before, you know, I've just on the podcast with him, whereas, you know, I know Larry, Court, and Kevin real well. Uh, but the funny thing is, you know, we've got this event coming up soon. It's March 26th, which is the Thursday before WrestleMania. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll be meeting Conan for the first time because we're actually going to be doing an episode of MLW Radio, uh, but instead of it airing as a podcast, it's going to be a live event at a nightclub in Santa Clara where WrestleMania is this year. And so I'm going to finally get to meet Conan, you know, because we'll be doing the show face-to-face. -face. And it should be a really great event. You know, we got a big guest for the show. We've got Rey Mysterio. Uh, if fans want to check it out, go to MLWLive.com. You can buy tickets. There's VIP tickets available. And you can meet everybody from MLW. A meet and greet with Rey Mysterio. You can get Rey Mysterio's autograph. And I'll be there. Conan will be there. Corn will be there. The whole MLW crew. Kevin Sullivan will be there. Dave Meltzer from the Wrestling Observer will be there. A lot of people from wrestling, a lot of our friends that we can't that we can't name right now, <laughs> are going to be in attendance. It's going to be crazy, you know. For any of the wrestling fans out there that have heard stories of like all these crazy wrestling parties, you actually get to attend one. Um, there'll be a cocktail party with all of us and Rey Mysterio, and then uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a hip hop artist named Wale, but he's a, a real big time hip hop artist, Grammy nominated. He's going to actually play a concert at the end of the night at the after party. So uh, fans get to be a part of all of that, which I think is going to be a really cool thing. Yeah, and it's called Wale Mania, correct? 
Yeah, Wally Mania with Rey Mysterio and all the guys from MLW, MLW and you can go to WallyMania.com or MLWLive.com and, and get the tickets. Tickets start at just $15 uh, Thursday, March 26th, so it's coming up soon. So anybody that's going to be in California for WrestleMania, you know, basically it's going to be a huge party to kick off WrestleMania weekend. And what better way to do it than to have a great guest like Rey Mysterio and then, you know, an incredible artist to close the show with a concert at the end of the night. Um, it's it's going to be absolute, absolutely wild. It's at the Taste Nightclub. The VIP ticket holders at the cocktail party will be getting free drinks as well. So, I mean, it's going to be nuts. Oh, wow. I can't, I can't believe it. This is like, you know, his first exit interview from WWE. Am I correct? He hasn't done exactly. any podcasts as of yet. Exactly, exactly. And, and what better way to do it than Conan, the guy that started Rey Mysterio in the business and gave him his break and brought him to the United States, and finally Rey is free. You know, he's gotten his release from WWE. There's no restrictions. He can say whatever he wants. And, and what better way for him to break his silence than live on stage with Conan, with Dave Meltzer, the best, you know, the greatest wrestling journalist in the history of wrestling. Uh, Corbin will be there as well. It, it's going to be really, really special. And, you know, for the fans that can't make it, I, you know, I feel bad. I know everybody would love to be there, and not everybody's able to make it out to WrestleMania, but for the fans that are going to be in town for WrestleMania, I think they're going to be kicking themselves if they miss this thing. I know, man. I feel bad this wasn't done in the East Coast, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know WrestleMania is in right, Cali, right. but, you know, the East Coast always gets gets bamboozled with things like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, um, before I, I start talking about this more, um, how did it all start from MLW Radio? Like, how did you venture into this? Like, tell me from the embryonic stage, what happened? Well, MLW was a wrestling promotion in the early 2000s that were in the Northeast at first and then came down and started running Florida. And, and when they came down to run Florida, you know, I'd been in the business a few, for a few years at this point, and, and anything that came to Florida, I wanted to be involved with, so... You know, I got myself involved backstage helping out, you know, with the, the show, with anything they needed help with, whether it was getting guys from the airport, whether it was helping guys backstage organize things, anything they needed, you know, I was going to do it. And when MLW closed down in 2004, uh, Court and I just stay in touch, you know, because I, I had really enjoyed working for MLW, which was Court's company, and we just kind of hit it off and became close friends. And, you know, a couple of years later, when he got hired by WWE to be a writer, um, we, you know, we, we just stayed in touch. You know, I've been working uh, for court for, you know, over a dozen years at this point. And, you know, years later, when MLW had been long gone and, and court at this point had quit WWE and, and really wasn't doing much in wrestling anymore, we just thought it would be fun to start a podcast. So, when you know, when you go to MLWRadio.com and if you check out the archive, You'll see, like, the early episodes, the original concept was, why don't we interview the people that wrestle for MLW, and, you know, almost 10 years have gone by, let's find out what they're up to. You know, let's just check in and, and, and see what's new and catch up, and that was the original concept for the show, uh, was just me interviewing people that had wrestled for MLW, whether it was Christopher Daniels or Sanjay Dutt or Steve Credo or Terry Funk or whoever else. And eventually, we started to run out of people to interview. So now it became, well, let's just interview our friends. And, and Cor and Conan were, were good friends, so we had Conan come on. And, you know, people seemed to really like it, so we just kept bringing them on. And, 
you know, we've had a lot of WWE writers on the show, Alex Greenfield, Christopher DeJoseph, um, you know, anybody that we were friends with, we just kind of brought on Ed Ferrara, and so the show kind of just morphed into, instead of a podcast about people that were in MLW, it became a podcast of people that were friends with Court and I, and it just, it just blew up, man, it's just one of those things, you know how the internet works, you never know what's going to take off, you never know what's going to be popular, and, and we just got real lucky. I know, like, like I think the first interview, I guess, I heard with you guys was with the Ultimate Warrior, and that got me hooked on MLW. I was like, wow, you know what I'm saying? The guy is talking, and he's real eloquent. And, you know, like, hearing the Warrior, you know, he, you know, you get the impression that he doesn't know much, but hearing him speak, he was like, wow, this guy really knows his shit. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was just surprising hearing him so out of character talking about different things, and you had a lot of different guests on your show, like Billy Corgan, early in the beginning, the famous interview with Tully Blanchard playing golf. You know, there, it, it's it's so crazy how you guys evolved, though, but, um, what was... And, then, and that was a great example, because, like, like, literally, the Ultimate Warrior came on the show because he was one of Court's friends. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, people that would never normally do that kind of interview, you know, Ultimate Warrior sat down with me for over two hours, and for people that have never heard the interview, you can go to mlwradio.com and subscribe and check it out. He literally goes through all the lawsuits with Vince give it the truth. There had been so much misinformation about the Ultimate Warrior of all the different times that he had left WWE. And, and he gave his side of the story, the full story. Uh, I considered myself very fortunate, you know, as someone like me that had worked as a journalist for so many years. I try to bring a journalistic approach to the interviews that I do. And it, it was just incredible to hear this man bear his soul at completely 100% honest, get his side of the story. And so that's really the concept of the show. It's just Court and I talking to our buddies, and you know, it just so happened that one of his buddies was a guy that hadn't done many interviews. Yeah, that was like a, I think a major coup. You think that was the interview that I'm saying you guys were already on the map, but you think that interview set you apart from everybody else? I, I think so. I think that interview really brought us a level of awareness that we hadn't had before. You know, we were lucky from day one. You know, from from literally like the first episode, which really goes to show how popular MLW was in certain parts of the world. You know, we, we had, you know, thousands and thousands of listeners from day one. Um, so then when you, you talk about episodes of guys like the Ultra Warrior, then it really blew up. Now we're talking tens of thousands of listeners. But, um, yeah, that, that might have been the turning point for us, man. That's a good point. Yeah, and then now, you know, you know, MLW, you know, um, MLW has, like, different podcasts with Hell of a Deal with Kevin Sullivan and yourself. You got um, Alex Greenfield. Um, um, th 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 um, this is a question I was thinking about. Um, do you think people get more information if they subscribe to the VIP than they do actually hearing it for free on Sunday? Um, um, you think there's more information that's given? What's your take on that? Well, you know, for people that aren't familiar with MLW Radio, anybody that, that likes wrestling podcasts, I definitely think it's something they should check out. And we have, I think most weeks we release like seven shows. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are free for everyone, so they can check out what we're about. And, you know, some of them are exclusive for the VIP subscribers. But I think a VIP subscription is like $15 a year, so we're talking uh, like a dollar twenty-five a month. It's, it's really, really inexpensive, and it's... It, it gets you access to the entire archive, but I don't think it's that some information is ex is more exclusive than others. It's just, you know, in a given week, um, 
for instance, when Jim Cornette on Tuesdays answers questions from the fans, that happens to be one of the shows that's exclusive to the VIP subscribers. The show that I do on Fridays with Kevin Sullivan, where we talk about the history of WCW and all the booking decisions that went down in the days of Nitro, that's another one that's exclusive to VIP subscribers. But it's not like uh, if we get a hot piece of news that, that we save it for VIP um, it's just a question of whatever the next show is that we do. Of okay, we got a show on Thursday. That's that's the show that gets posted for everybody, and you know the schedule is the same each week. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, do you feel like doing the show? Does the show take a lot of your time up, or you know you're always rearing ready to go? <laughs> no, it, it takes up a lot of time. Yeah, more, more than I ever imagined. Uh, it, it's a lot of work, and for someone like me who's juggling so many projects that uh, it, it can be difficult, man, because I, I still take independent bookings on the weekends, uh, and anybody that wants to book me, send me an email at MSL, uh, or, I'm sorry, send an email to MSL at M.SL, that's my email address. Yeah, I, I take independent bookings on the weekends, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a lot of times I'm on the road. You know, I sometimes host three or four podcasts a week. Wow. I, own a I own a wrestling school, I own a newspaper, I've got rock bands that I work for, I've got my own band, um, I've got three or four independent promotions that I'm the booker for down here in Florida. It's it's crazy, man, and um, <laughs> I try to do the best I can, but sometimes it's difficult to find the time to do everything. Like, when you asked me to do this show tonight, it was literally like, okay, I would love to do your show, I'm really uh, honored that you asked me to be on. But either we could do it at this time, or I can't do it because my schedule's just full. Yeah. Oh my God, man. How, how does sleep fit into your schedule? <laughs> um, I I I try to sleep when I can. It's just yeah. uh, you never know. And I and I work for a lot of different companies that are in different time zones. So <laughs> it, it's difficult sometimes to figure out when I'm going to have time to sleep. But you know, if you want to make it in show business, and I I don't consider myself someone that's made it by any stretch of the imagination. I, I feel like my journey's just getting started. Yeah. It's a it's a grind year in and year out. You gotta hustle, you gotta bust your ass and you know, I'm I'm seventeen years into this journey. Lucky luckily I started real young. Um but uh, but I got a long way to go, man. I, I didn't um I didn't get into this to just be a podcaster. I didn't get into this to just do commentary for Ring of Honor. You know, I've, I've got big aspirations for myself, and I feel like uh, there's not many people with my level of experience and knowledge when it when it comes to booking wrestling. I've been very, very lucky to be groomed by guys like Larry and Kevin Sullivan and Pat Patterson as a personal friend of the family. Um, you know, some of the greatest minds in the history of wrestling have taken the time to groom me and tutor me, and, and hopefully at some point I'll be able to show the world what I've got to offer in terms of Alright, to get out of pro wrestling for a second, um, I know I have seen this on Wikipedia, but I want you to tell me about it. What is the Guns N' Roses controversy? Oh, God, Wikipedia. <laughs> you know, you know, I get asked that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I was just curious about it. I just saw that. I was like, hmm, okay. You know, for someone like me that's worked behind the scenes in wrestling and music for as long as I have, you know, it's not uncommon sometimes to uh, end up with information or... or or various things that maybe would be considered uh, rare or unknown or confidential. And, you know, I, I at the time, 
uh, Guns N' Roses, which used to be, you know, one of the biggest rock bands in the world, they had been working on their new album for like 15 years or something like that. And somebody in the, somebody on the inside had sent me a few songs to check out and, you know, I, I sent the songs to a few buddies so they could check them out and you know how the internet goes and before you know it, it's all over the internet and, uh, yeah, I didn't, I probably wouldn't have done it if I'd realized what it was spiral into, but before I knew it, it was like a, a major international news story and they were threatening to, threatening to sue me and put me in jail and, oh my God. uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy and, um, you know, it, it kind of, for me at the time, it actually worked out kind of well because, you know, we're talking maybe like 2006, 2007, something like that, where, you know, my wrestling career really hadn't taken off yet. Um, you know, I'd I done some the commentary for Ring of Honor, but as far as me in the ring, you know, I was just a guy that was working like in the Southeast. And after that, I started getting booked all over the place. You know, I had promoters in Vegas and West Virginia and in Wisconsin wanted to bring me in um, that probably would have never heard of me if it wasn't for these headlines of, you know, Axl Rose wanting to put me in jail. Oh, wow. So, um, the, the, did anything else pending happen after that, or it was... Um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough that my father is an attorney, my mother is an attorney, my sister is an attorney. Oh, my God. My my grandfather was an attorney, my great-grandfather was an attorney, and the Prime Minister of Canada, my great-great-grandfather was an attorney. Um, so I, I had some real good legal advice, and I hadn't broken any laws. I, you know, I was real careful with what I had done. So in the end, there really wasn't anything they could do. It was just, you know, you know how big companies are, they like to hop to the top and blow smoke and, and try to intimidate people, and, and when you know your rights, you know, then there's not really anything to worry about. So, I, I mean... For me, like I said, it ended up being a great thing in a way because I went from this completely unknown wrestler to now having this level of notoriety I would have never had otherwise. Um, and, and, you know, I was just real fortunate. Wait a minute, so you said, getting back to the family, everybody in your family is an attorney? Everybody in my family is an attorney except for me. <laughs> and my, my, my grandfather uh, was a member of parliament in Canada, and my great-grandfather was the prime minister of Canada. That's Louis St. Laurent, right? I read about... Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Wait, so, um, did you ever had an aspiration to be an attorney? Or, did they, um, um, or, or were they ever pissed at you? Like, why didn't you follow the family tradition? I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely like the black sheep of the family. When people <laughs> don't understand the, the passion that I have for show business, um, you know, I, I gave up everything so that I could go wrestle and play rock and roll. And, you know, I gave up everything. At 15 years old, I was living in the streets. I ran away from home. I dropped out of school, like I had mentioned at the beginning of the show. And I just, I just went for it. And yeah, they wanted me to be an attorney and they wanted me to be a senator and they wanted me to be a lot of things. And my family's very politically connected. And that's just not the life that I wanted. Um, you know, there's something, like I said, there's something about the art form of making people want to pay to see a fight that absolutely fascinated me, and and it's just something I've always been extremely passionate about. I don't limit myself to just pro wrestling. Uh, I've worked for boxing organizations and mixed martial arts organizations, and if there's a fight, and, and, and you want people to pay to see that fight, I want to be involved. Uh, you know, I really love that art form of, of crafting 
something that I think is a fascinating art. I, I really do. You know, you can look at all these different art forms, whether it's film or music or television, um, but the idea of making someone want to pay their money because they want to see someone else get punched in the face so bad, uh, I, I just think it's a, a completely unique thing that you don't find anywhere else. And, you know, I, it's something that every day I'm, I'm trying to learn more and more of how to master that, that art of manipulation and, and try to learn from everybody that I can, anybody that came before me that is, is gracious enough to, to bestow the knowledge upon me. I just try to soak it up like a sponge. Are you looking forward to the Floyd Mayweather-Manny Pacquiao fight? You know, that, that's a fight that obviously the world is excited about. Yeah. Uh, for someone like me on the inside that, that's worked in boxing over the years, I don't think Manny has any chance. So that's not a fight that necessarily excites me. Uh, the business aspect of it is exciting. I'm curious to see how many pay-per-views it sells. I'm curious to see what the viewership is like overseas and how much money they can generate with the TV rights over there. Uh, from, a, from a business perspective, it's fascinating. But as far as the fight itself, I've never had any doubt that, that Floyd Mayweather would win. I don't even think Manny Pacquiao's in his league. So it's hard for me to really get excited about the drama of the fight because I don't think there's going to be any. Wow, that's some strong words. You don't think um, Pacquiao has a punching chance if he gives him a good shot? Well, anybody's got a puncher's chance. So, you know, it's not that it's impossible for Pacquiao to win, but it's, it's so unlikely that it's, not, it's just not something that I would get excited about. And let's face it, you know, if uh, you're talking about one guy started his career at 112 pounds, another guy started his career at 130, it's nothing even against Pacquiao. It's not even really fair. You know, he's trying to move up and wait because that's where the money is. But, you know, when Floyd Mayweather fought Juan Manuel Marquez, Mayweather dominated literally like every round. He won like 12 and nothing. And you're sitting there going, man, it's not even fair. Mayweather is, is bigger and faster. He's not in his league. And yet Marquez knocked Pacquiao out cold. Yeah. You know, so really you're talking about a, a, a bloated lightweight facing a legit welterweight. That's nothing against Pacquiao. I understand why he's popular. I understand why people like him. But I, I don't consider it a, a competitive fight. I, you know, I think that Mayweather will easily win on points. Yeah, definitely, and especially him moving so fast, you know, you know he's definitely right. going to, I think he's going to out, out, I think he's gonna definitely going to out, outbox him and out, like, be really quicker than him in many aspects. Um, whatchamacallit, um, what do you, what's your opinion on CM Punk and the UFC? How do you feel about that? You know, I, I was a UFC fan as a kid, and, you know, I used to rent all the videotapes in the early days of the UFC, and, and, and it was something that intrigued me for a really long time, and... I think for long-time fans, the, the way the sport has evolved, and I understand why they did it, and I understand why they needed to add weight classes, and I understand why they needed to add time limits and rounds and all these different things to clean up the sport. Uh, it's just not the sport that I fell in love with. So uh, I don't really watch UFC that much, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, when, when punk fights, I'll definitely watch. I'm still intrigued. I, I also think, you know, a business model that's built around the idea of running 13 pay-per-views a year at $55 or whatever they cost. I think actually now in HD they're 59.95, 13 times a year. The financial investment that UFC expects, um, I, I just I just think, you know, if, if you look at the numbers compared to what they were five years ago, the UFC has really cooled off. It, it's 
you know, it's not the whole thing that it was. They got lucky that they got that big TV deal with Fox, but Fox was buying something that was on the decline. You know, they thought they were getting the hot new property that would continue to grow. And, and I think UFC has already peaked. And, and I don't think, whether it was WWE or anybody else, that, that anybody that's trying to build a business model and running that many pay-per-views, it doesn't work. It's, you're, you're asking your audience for too much of a commitment you're asking for too much of their money, too much of their time. And, you, man, you really got to be hardcore to follow UFC and all the fights every week. And uh, I just don't have the time or interest. Are, are you a fan of Ronda Rousey? Because I think she put a lot of eyes on UFC being a female and all. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit that I've seen. And I, I used to watch her fights before she was in UFC. And I guess I find myself kind of rooting for whatever groups are opposing UFC. Yeah. I, I was a really big Elite XC fan. I covered a lot of their events for the Miami Herald. Uh, and I used to follow them real closely. You know, I was at, at Cage Side, actually sitting next to Dave Meltzer when Kimbo Slice got knocked out by Seth Petrozelli. Oh, you was there uh, live? Oh, man, that was I, crazy. I, I, was, I was covering that fight. Oh, and that, was, uh, that was on network TV, too. That was on Channel 2. Yep. Yeah, that was on that was on CBS, and you know I used to cover a lot of boxing and MMA cards. You know I used to, especially in the earlier days of UFC, I used to cover UFC for Wrestling Observer before Meltzer was able to be at all the events. Oh. Um, so you know I've been cage side and ringside for a, a lot of different fights, and you know I, I love the lead XC. I was a big fan of Strike Force. I was lucky enough to get to to work some Strike Force events, and as a part of Showtime Sports, we were filming a reality show about Frank Shamrock at the time, uh, called Frank Shamrock Unglobed, which unfortunately never aired because Strike Force got bought by UFC. And, and so maybe I'm maybe I'm biased in that way. Maybe I'm bitter towards UFC because <laughs> when they bought Strike Force, it kind of fucked up the TV show I was working on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, I, uh, I don't watch MMA that much anymore, and I'll, sometimes I'll check out Bellator. Um, I've seen some Ronda Rousey fights. You know, honestly, uh, listen, I'm all for women's rights. I think women should have the right to fight. I also think people should have the right to be interested in whatever they're interested in, and, and I understand the novelty of it, and she's a very talented, a great athlete. Um, but in the end, long term... I, I think there's a lot of people that will never enjoy watching women get punched in the face. And maybe because Ronda Rousey is so dominant in terms of submissions, yeah. maybe there's people that are watching these fights that would get turned off if she was knocking these girls out, making them bloody, cutting their eyes, busting their nose. Uh, you know, I just think the average viewer doesn't want to see a beautiful woman all beat up and black eyes and bleeding everywhere. Uh, so I wonder psychologically if the fact that Ronda Rousey is tapping all these people out has made it a little more palatable to the mainstream. Yeah. I'm saying, in a way, I, I kind of disagree with you on that because um, if you go back to the days when, you know, you know, we have Shimmer now, but they had LPWA and WOW, and WOW, you know, the women's organization had a pay-per-view, and it was basically all women in that pay-per-view. If you do women wrestling or, I guess, women fighting the right way, you know, people will definitely watch it. It's just the women now, they get degraded to a two-minute match on Raw, and, you know, if you've seen the match with Charlotte and NXT and the wrestlers they have there, you know, they, they put on phenomenal matches. Matches, don't you think? It, it's always been a, it's always been a novelty, though, and and that's not knocking the women because some of these women are better wrestlers than the men. 
Um, but like when you're when you're talking about women's wrestling in the past, if you're talking about WOW or Glow or, or different groups, uh, it's never been a mainstream thing. It's always yeah. been a niche product, and there are people that are interested in that. And listen, supply and demand. If someone wants to watch it, they should be able to. Yeah. Uh, me personally, if if I was running a bigger wrestling company, I don't think I would have a women's division. I use women in my companies, uh, and sometimes in very prominent positions. Uh, but I think that women's wrestling or women's fighting uh, is is best as a novelty, and 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 I don't think you'll ever see a mainstream group, whether it's wrestling or MMA, where it's all women fights. I'd love to be wrong. It's great for the women. I want them to get work. I just don't think the average person, you know, day in and day out, you know, once the novelty wears off, I think they would lose interest. Um, speaking of novelty in women, um, what do you think of the roles of women being used in Lucha Underground against the men? Um, are, 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 do you like that? Do you watch that? Or? Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit behind on Lucha Underground right now. I like a lot of what I've seen there. And I know, I know there's been some controversy of whether women should wrestle men. And uh, I actually did a podcast a few months ago where Christopher Joseph, who's the head writer for Lucha Underground, uh, he was a guest on MLW Radio, and it was uh, Joseph, myself, and Alex Greenfield. And Alex Greenfield used to be head writer for WWE SmackDown, and Joseph, before he worked for Lucha Underground, was a writer for WWE Raw. Uh, and we're, we're all good friends. Actually, that Frank Shamrock reality show that we were doing for Showtime Sports, all three of us worked on that show together. Um, so it, it was cool to get to talk to Joseph about the mindset of Lucha Underground, and, and obviously Conan involved as well. And, and that issue came up of should men wrestle women, and I'm not opposed to it. I think there's a certain way to do it. I definitely would never make it uh, a regular thing. I would never have an intergender division. Uh, but for people that have followed the regional promotions that I'm the matchmaker for here in Florida over the years, it's actually very common uh, in a company, if, if you watch a, a wrestling company in Florida, if you want to figure out whether I'm the booker or not, yeah. I, I, us, I usually have one woman on the roster. I usually have one woman on the roster. I have her wrestle men. She's the only one, so when you see her, it's special. Um, you know, and, and usually it's someone who's very athletic, has got some high-flying skill, uh, and, and their matches don't have to be balls or, or getting, you know, punched in the face by a man. I, I think that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. So I'm not opposed to women wrestling men. I just, it's not something I would do a lot. I think it's something that has to feel different and special. And once it doesn't feel different or special, then what's the point of even doing it? Exactly. Did you feel that China was a novelty act for WWE? Yeah, look how successful China was. Look how successful China was. Look how successful Sable was. And then once they had a full-time, full-fledged women division, find me anyone that drew them the kind of money that China or Sable drew. Yeah. Nobody. You, you would make so much more money with two women than you would make with 20. But, you know, if you're WWE and you're on the road 300 days a year and you're the wrestlers, you're the writers, you're whoever else, who wouldn't want 20 supermodels running around backstage? <laughs> uh, so, so I think that's a part of it too because, you know, these guys that have to live on the road, a lot, for a lot of them it's much easier to maintain a relationship with somebody that's in the business. Yeah. And if you've got 100 dudes and two chicks, do the math. That's not going to work out. So I think that's part of 
more to why the women's division has been expanded over the years and why they hire so much women because otherwise it's like a, a, in an all-male prison. They're going to go crazy. <laughs> true indeed, true indeed. So just like you're next to Winter Park, Florida, have you have it, had a chance to see NXT in person or have you seen it on yeah. the network? You know, I've seen it a little bit on the network. I haven't gone in person yet. You know, when TNA first started doing their tapings in Orlando, I went to a lot of the TNA tapings, especially because a lot of my friends were wrestling on the shows. Um, but, but the NXT I haven't been to yet. I'm not opposed to it. I, I think now, the older I get, the more of a hermit I'm becoming. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really hate the idea of going and sitting in the crowd and trying to take in the show and getting spotted by a fan. Um, so I'm, I'm just not comfortable with that. If I'm not booked on a show, chances are I'm not going to go. Um, so I haven't seen NXT yet. I hear it's great. You know, like I said, I watched it on the network a little bit. I'm definitely rooting for those guys. You know, I have some good friends that have been signed there recently, and I'm, I'm rooting for them. I'm just, uh, I'm just not interested in being in the crowd. Yeah. How you how you feel that um Fergal Devitt is being treated in NXT and you know Finn Balor now how how do you feel like um the way they slowly evolving him do you think he's getting like a great push or do you think they need to work faster with him like what do you think well, you... The, 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 the fans seem to be taking a liking to him and you know obviously there's some fans that were familiar with his work from New Japan and there's some that weren't and I've seen a little bit of his New Japan stuff I don't I don't watch Japanese wrestling as much as I did years ago. Uh, so, you know, I, I was familiar with his work, but not super familiar with it, and, and I'd never met him before, and so, and what's funny, you know, we, we talked to Wally Mania earlier, yeah. uh, I went to a Wally concert in Orlando a few weeks ago and hung out with Wally after the show, and Wally, who was a, a huge wrestling fan, which is the reason he's helped put this, this Wally Mania show together, uh, a lot of the guys from NXT after the taping came to the concert to hang out with Wally at the after party, so... That was actually my first time meeting Finn Balor. Um, and real nice guy. Like I said, I've seen his work a little bit. I think he, he to me, comes across as very serious, very professional. I think he's going to do great there. I wonder if the size is a concern at all. And I know philosophies of wrestling are changing in terms of, of height and physique and all that. Maybe I'm old school in that way. Um, but, you know... Very talented guy. I'm very curious to see once he is on the main roster what they do with him. Yeah. Do you, um, um, the people who are there on the roster now, like Sami Zayn, do you feel he's been in NXT too long that he should already be on Raw? Like, you know, the longer he's there, I'm just afraid he's going to get injured. Like, you, you know, don't you think there should be like a time frame where they should just go to Raw already? Well, it, it's funny because it seems, it seems like any time I go to a concert, I, I run into the NXT guys there, so I saw the Misfits a couple months ago. Oh, wow, cool. And, and, and I ran into Sami Zayn after the show, and I've known Sami for years. He stayed at my house a few times when I used to live with Larry. And uh, and I, I said to him straight up, I was like, man, you're so good, NXT is not going to want to lose you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and especially now that they're starting to become a touring brand, and Triple H's aspirations of them being able to tour full-time, I think there are going to be guys that should have been called up to the main roster a long time ago that NXT is not going to want to let go of, and, and maybe he's one of those guys. 
Yeah, exactly, because it's like almost like now when you associate NXT, you associate Sami Zayn before it was like Adrian Neville, but you associate him as like the face of NXT. So, right, yeah, for sure. You know, just like, you know, Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, like, you know, I would say having him there is good, but, you know, they need to be on, on, on mainstream television because, you know, in Raw now, in SmackDown, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but you see the same retread batches over and over and over again. There's so many times you can see Cena and Rusev or Dolph Ziggler having a match with Wade Barrett. You know, all these matches you can definitely see on house shows. It's just so repetitive. I don't, I don't know how you feel about well, that. They, they, they've got too much TV, and, and I think the downfall of WWE, when you look at the last 10 or 15 years, and viewership is down across the board, house show attendance is down across the board, pay-per-view evaporated to the extent that they had to get rid of it or, you know, essentially lower the price from $50 to $10. All of the metrics that would indicate if the company is hot or not all indicate that in the last 10 or 15 years, the company has been as cold as you can be. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of problems. But one of the problems is that wrestling got really hot because the idea of having one big show on Monday night clicks with the audience, it works. For whatever reason, people were comfortable with that, um, whether it was flipping between the channels of wrestling and football, or if you weren't interested in the football game that week, whatever the reason was, it became part of the cultural zeitgeist that on Mondays you watch sports, whether that was wrestling, whether that was football, uh, and then you waited all week until it was time to watch wrestling again. And when they added SmackDown, uh, that, that to me was the beginning of the end. Because you're asking people, to, uh, you know, most people don't watch TV on Fridays anyways. And, and, you know, so before SmackDown was on Fridays, if most people would watch TV Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And you were asking people to devote half of their nightly TV viewing to wrestling. And you're, and you're asking too big of a commitment. You know, maybe, maybe there are hardcore fans that would watch wrestling every night of the week if they could. But what made wrestling so big in the 90s was that it wasn't just the hardcore fans that were watching. The casual audience was willing to make that commitment to watch on Monday nights. And once they added Thursday night, uh, I think slowly you've seen the creative process really start to fall apart. And now it's, it's worse than ever now that Raw is three hours instead of two hours. And the entire history of the business and we're talking 130 years, 140 years. Who thought it was a good idea to have two primetime weekday shows during the week? Um, it, it's never going to work. It never has worked. It's marginalized pro wrestling. It's excluded the casual audience that would maybe be interested, but you're asking too big of a commitment. You know, there's millions of people that watch Walking Dead. Millions of people that watch Walking Dead. It's very popular. There's people that find out about it from word of mouth that check it out that maybe would never watch a zombie show. But what if, you know, because everybody's got their breaking point. Everybody's got their limit of what they can put up with. What if, instead of one new episode a week, there were eight new episodes a week? Well, there would be the hardcore fans that would think it was the greatest thing that ever happened. But what about everybody else? that would probably try to watch, and before you know it, they've missed a couple, they've missed a couple more, and it gets to the point where they fall behind to the point where they say, I'm not willing to make this commitment anymore, or I wish I could, but I can't, life won't allow it. And that's what happens. Any product that's hot, 
Uh, we talked about UFC before about how many shows they run. Mm -hmm. The more shows you have, the bigger commitment you ask for, the more of the casual audience you're going to run off. And if you're WWE, they're doing the same matches all the time because what else are you supposed to do? Definitely right. Um, what's your take on TNA? Do you feel they improves being on Destination America? A lot of people are liking their product now, saying that the wrestling's gotten better. But I don't know. I don't see. I don't see any change. I don't see any. You know, I don't even. To be honest, now I don't. I haven't even watched it for like two or three weeks. I haven't really caught up with it on it now. But I don't know if you're watching it now. But what's your take on TNA? I don't watch it that much because I don't get Destination America, and you know, a lot of my friends that were wrestling there. Uh, you know, opted not to renew their contracts when, when the switchover was coming from Spike to, to Destination America. I, I've heard the shows are better. Good for them. You know, I, I wish nothing but the best for TNA. But I think it's a case of out of sight, out of mind. They were already struggling for relevance all those years to begin with, and the saving grace is that they were on Spike TV. And, and now... You know, good for them if they can get their 300 or 400 or maybe even, maybe it's even 500,000 viewers every week. I just don't think you can grow on that platform. And and maybe there's a market of half a million wrestling fans that are so dedicated that they'll go find Destination America. And I hope it's enough for them to survive. But when people ask me what I think about TNA, it's like, even if it was the greatest show in Nation Wrestling, it wouldn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because there's too many people that do, either don't get the channel or don't know that they get it. It's, I don't think there's anybody that before it was on Destination America was religiously watching that channel. Um, and But at least they survived. You know, beggars can't be choosers. If that was the best deal they can get, then at least they're alive. Yeah. Also, MSL, are you looking forward to WrestleMania? And um, what's your predictions for some of the matches? Um, the show itself, I'm sure I'll watch at some point. Um, I fly out Wednesday and get back Monday, so I'll be, I'll still be out there for WrestleMania. I don't know if I'm going or not. Okay. Uh, you know, if, if if someone on the show wants me to go to check out their match, I'll go check it out. But you know, it's like uh, I love pro wrestling. I always love pro wrestling, but it's it's a job like anything else, you know. And so. Uh, my focus is really on Wally Mania, and once Wally Mania is over, then I'm just going to enjoy my vacation. I don't know that I'm necessarily going to go to WrestleMania, but as far as the big matches, um, I, if, if Brock is re-signing, I'd like to see him retain. I don't think there's any way that'll happen. I, you know, I think Roman Reigns will definitely be winning the title. Um, I think fans would be disappointed if Sting loses, so... Um, but on the other hand, I think Triple H will be wrestling at WrestleMania, you know, probably for the next four or five years. I don't know if that's the case with Sting, so I, I could see Triple H getting the win there. I think Undertaker gets the win over Bray Wyatt, which is a shame. Uh, I'm still in disbelief that Bray Wyatt lost to John Cena at WrestleMania last year. He was the hottest guy in the company, bar none. The people had their lighters out. They were singing. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah. He would have been the he would have been the hottest baby face in the company. Probably the biggest match you could have possibly made in WWE. If Bray Wyatt had been protected the last year, would be Bray Wyatt versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania this year. Um, so I, I think they're going to sacrifice Bray to the Undertaker, which is a complete waste because the Undertaker's done. There's not going to be gained from that. Um, just it'll probably be the latest in a long line of bonehead decisions and so that's how I see the show going down. I think it's the least interesting 
uh, in the least exciting WrestleMania in the history of WrestleMania. And I, I think in the coming years, it's just going to get worse and worse. And, you know, every year that goes by, they're going to have less and less main event guys. They've forgotten how to create main event guys. So, you know, they've had to rely on guys from the past, Flair and Michaels and The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar and Triple H and The Rock. And once those guys are done, you know, Flair and Michaels are already done. Now The Rock might be done. Triple H will be done in a few years. Once those guys are gone, they're going to have nobody left. Russell, you know, you talk about WrestleMania being $9.99 instead of $64.99. They're not going to be able to give WrestleMania away if they don't find a way to start making stars again. I mean, it's going to be a serious issue in the coming years. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I don't know. The the only exciting card for me is just I'm just curious about the Brock Lesnar situation, like you were saying, because, you know, if he's going to drop the bull, you know, drop the belt to Roman Reigns and he's scheduled to be on Raw next Monday, like, what they're going to do? Like, I, I don't know. I'm just thinking that either he beats Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins cashes in the money in the bank, but isn't the money in the bank supposed to be cashed in at, you know, WrestleMania is supposed to be the deadline? Like, you know, I, I just don't get the whole money in the bank thing. Well, now that Money in the Bank is its own pay-per-view, I'm assuming the deadline is to cash in before that pay-per-view. Ah, uh, okay. the You know, before the next Money in the Bank. You know, in the other thing, too, Money in the Bank is so played out. Uh, you know, if they wanted to keep Money in the Bank, I'd really rather see uh, that, you know, a guy can cash in Money in the Bank for the title shot on a pay-per-view with some sort of advance notice. You know, the credibility of the title to me is, is completely ruined when... Uh, a guy just fights a hard-fought 30-minute pay-per-view main event, and then this guy can just come out, oh, I got a briefcase, you have to fight again. I mean, it's just silly to me. Um, I, I will say that, uh, <laughs> man, he's got, he has several rounds of the Money in the Bank briefcase. He's got multiple championship matches. But what does the briefcase even mean? <laughs> yeah, I what does it even mean? He fought John Cena for number one contendership to go to a Royal and ends up being a three-way and all this other stuff. But what does the what does it even mean uh, when you're getting multiple title shots before you ever even get a chance to cash in the briefcase? Yeah, it's just, I don't know, like, you know, it's, it, you know, it was a good when they had it on, you know, they had it at WrestleMania, but for Money in the Bank to have his own pay-per-view, it's just kind of, it's overkill now, it's overkill, you know. It's like, you know, like, you know there's, it's like, there's so much times you can eat on peanut M&M's and, you know, get sick of it, you know, so it's like, I'm already sick of Money in the Bank, you know. Um, before I let you go, um, MSL, um, plug away Wally Mania one more time for the fans out there. Go to WallyMania.com or MLWLive.com. Get your tickets now. They start at just $15 for general admission. There's a VIP package as well. The VIP ticket holders really going to be an incredible night for anybody, but for the people that are already able to get the VIP tickets, and we're almost running out of those VIP tickets, there's going to be an exclusive VIP cocktail party at 6.30 p.m. It's going to last until 7.30. A cocktail party with Rey Mysterio. There's going to be free hors d'oeuvres. And Don Julio Tequila Open Bar for everyone that's a VIP ticket holder. You'll get to meet Rey Mysterio and everybody from the MLW family. Myself, Court Bauer, Conan, Dave Meltzer will be there. And then at 8 o'clock, the live interview with Rey Mysterio will take place on stage. We'll be doing a Q&A with the fans as well. The fans will be able to ask questions of Rey. And for MLW listeners like yourself uh, that have always wanted to ask a question on MLW Radio, I won't be there with Court and 
call in and people will be able to ask us questions live. That'll end around 10 o'clock and then we're going to have an after party until the nightclub closes. So we'll be there until 1.30 in the morning. Everybody from the show will be partying with the fans all night long and a special performance from Grammy-nominated hip-hop artist Wale. They'll be performing live at the show. So I don't think there's ever in the history of wrestling been a show anything like this day. You know, a guy like Rey Mysterio who just left WWE that's going to now tell his story in an open forum with all of his best friends and one of his favorite musicians playing a concert at the end of the night and, and all of us get the party with the fans. It's crazy. It's going to be a taste nightclub in Santa Clara. So get your tickets now. Thursday, March 26th. It's the Thursday before WrestleMania. So just go to MLWI.com and get those tickets. Um, there's no time limit from Ray talking, right? He's going to speak probably for an hour or so, or is there... Uh, the, the, the live interview with Ray, as well as the fan Q&A, will be lasting approximately from 8 to 10. So it, it's going to be a hell of a show. So 6.30 to 7.30 is the, the cocktail party for the VIP ticket holders. And VIP ticket holders as well get guaranteed seats for the interview, because I know some of the seating will be limited. So if you're a VIP ticket holder, you're guaranteed a seat during the interview. And then from 8 to 10 is the live interview with Ray Mysterio. And then from 10.30 until 1.30 in the morning will be the after party. And the general admission ticket holders, it's only 15 bucks. It gets you into the live interview and into the after party. So it's really a tremendous value. Wow, and also, you forgot to say the big meeting between MSL and Conan for the very first time. That, that's true. I've never met Conan before, so the fans will get to see Conan and I meet for the very first time. Um, you know, I've hung out with Court many times over the years, but I've never met Conan. And I'm excited to see Ray, too, because I haven't hung out with Ray in probably about 10 years now. It's been a real long time. I haven't hung out with Dave Meltzer probably since 2008. Um, so it's almost like a family reunion, and the, and the fans are invited. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. And and is it true that Court Bauer is giving everybody kazoos, or that's just a joke? I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I never know, but I might get kazooed right out of that building. Yeah, and also Kevin Sullivan will be there as well. Kevin Sullivan will be there. Uh, the other day, MVP tweeted that there's a seventy five percent chance he'll be there. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of wrestlers that are in town that are going to want to be at this thing because, uh, you know, there's going to be guys that are getting flown in to do some of the other events, maybe to do the Hall of Fame, uh, that are going to have nothing to do Thursday night. And what better way to spend that Thursday night to kick off WrestleMania weekend than a crazy fucking party at the coolest nightclub in Santa Clara with Wally playing at the end of the night and Rey Mysterio doing that interview. It's going to be nuts. You know, I've been in this business 17 years now, and I've never seen anything like this, and I don't think there'll be something like this ever again. Uh, so I hope everybody that comes out has a great time and enjoys it, because it's, it's you know, nothing against WrestleMania. You know, I've been to WrestleMania before. It's a good time, and I hope people enjoy the whole weekend. I know there's a lot of great events. Uh, but there's never been an event like Wally Mania, and if you're a Rey Mysterio fan, to get to meet Rey Mysterio face-to-face, shake his hand and get an autograph, and then listen to him live and in person tell his story, you know, because he's, he was in WWE for so long, and he wanted out, and he's finally free now, and now he gets to tell his story, and it's going to be a very emotional thing, I think, for fans of Rey Mysterio. Oh, definitely can't wait to see that. Also, um, before I let you go, um, what do you think about um, Larry Zabisco? Are you going to be at the Hall of Fame for Larry Zabisco? 
Um, you know, I talked to Larry earlier today. He wants me to be there. I'll have to see. Um, you know, there are other events that weekend that are trying to book me. There's different shows going on. So, you know, it, it, I'm not quite sure what I'll be doing. There's a chance I'll be at the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm definitely going to try to go to Jim Ross's show that weekend as well. Jim Ross has got a speaking engagement that Saturday. So mm. it's, it's, it's going to be a busy weekend. And for people that are listening that don't know who I am and you want to find out more about me, go to my website www.m.sl there's no .com it's just m.sl <laughs> it's the world's shortest uh, website domain m.sl and there's a message board on there and if you post on that message board I check it out every day oh. uh, you know I'm on Twitter as well at MSL but why be restricted to 140 characters I've come on your show for over an hour I'm not afraid to talk so uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at MSL but if you don't want to have the handcuffs of 140 characters just go to the message board <laughs> on m.sl I'll talk all day long uh, thank you so much msl i appreciate the time and ml um, mlw radio you can catch him every sunday night right you conan and court bauer talking everything in the world of professional wrestling and some entertainment as well yep awesome man thank you so much thank you have a good one all right you too all right And that was Mr. MSL on the Atomic Podcast. Definitely check out Wale Mania if you're in the San Jose area. Check out Wale Mania and hear Ray Mysterio Jr. talk for the first time. This is Ethan Guzman of the Atomic Podcast. Um, you can check us out on Twitter. You can catch me on Facebook on Ephraim Guzman. You can check out Eves the Cannon Sannon on Facebook as Ed Sannon. Um, we're all over the web. Check us out. Check, us, check our archives on SoundCloud. And, you know, give us a like. Give us a listen. Let us know what you think. All right, fans. This is Ephraim Guzman signing off.